Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to global news and social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week it's our pleasure to talk with someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. Uh, this week, my guest is Joshua Peters from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, an old uh, student acquaintance of mine that uh, we haven't really kept up closely, but I've kept tabs on him from a distance. So good morning, Josh. Good morning, Dr. Dalton. <laughs> Great to see you. You look, uh, you look beaming and beautiful on this Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's one advantage uh, that we don't have down at the radio station is being able to see our uh, guests as we get to talk with them. So great yeah. to see you. Well, thank you for having me. Well, a great pleasure. And uh, you you came highly recommended by my, uh, <laughs> my recent guest <laughs> uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. So, uh, you know, what could I do but say, uh, hey, come on, Josh, let's do it. <laughs> yes, Antonio uh, Lewis has been doing some great things down there, and uh, I consider him a brother and a great person, a great spirit to be around. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I suppose you communicate because it's like he talks to you all the time, it seems like. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we communicate quite, quite often. We bounce ideas off of one another, just a spiritual bond there. He's a good brother. Well, I remember him saying that uh, you sort of mentored him into becoming uh, or running for student government president there at Lincoln the year after you were president. Yeah, uh, Antonio and I, we, we spent a lot of time in Dr. Amy Goss's class uh, yes. together. And uh, I think we both had a bug and a niche for wanting to improve the quality of life of students on, on Lincoln's campus. And um, from there, uh, with Antonio coming from what I like to consider to be the heart of the civil rights movement, uh, the, the uh, city of Atlanta, um, and then me coming from St. Louis and uh, the racial disparities there, we just kind of always had good ideas and it just kind of flourished into what it is now. Wonderful, wonderful. But what a, what a great team. Yes. I have I have to tell you, <laughs> I remember the very first day of class that you were in my class because you sat on the front row just to my left with a big <laughs> smile and very uh, animated face. Yeah. You, you were in that place every class just... Uh, you really made an impression on me. I just wanted you to know that from the beginning. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Nothing has changed, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, I see. I still see that smile. No doubt about that. Great, great. Were you a political science major at Lincoln? Oh, yes, sir. Political science. Um, and then my minor was history. And you also got some opportunities. Um, who was it? Uh, Prior to uh, enrolling at Lincoln University, um, I had an internship um, through my high school to serve as a uh, congressional intern for Congressman William Lacey Clay um, out of the first congressional in Missouri. 
and I, I managed a relationship with him throughout my academics um, at Lincoln. Um, and then right after that, I went to or moved to Washington, D.C. to serve on his staff, um, mm -hmm. starting legislative correspondent and then become his legislative director. Wow. Wow. Well, talk about uh, being focused in what you're wanting to do and, and the opportunities. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like being in Washington, D.C.? Sure. So, I mean, I guess to give you a perspective, I come from very modest beginnings. Um, the first out of my family to receive a high school diploma um, and then let alone go off to college and graduate. So I've always had a thirst to want to give back to a community that I found has given so much to me that has been the underserved community and i'm not just speaking about any geographical location um i moved around we were very transient um from the beginning living next to a dairy farm in wentzville missouri to move into the inner city of st louis two completely different worlds but the struggles are still the same um so that's what really interests me about politics and when this opportunity came about i immediately knew that my track would be political science um, I did not know that I would meet the individuals who I met on, on my journey, individuals such as yourself, who gave me a perspective on how to take care of yourself and um, uh, health wellness and what really helps to keep the mind going, right? How to, how to stay pure in that way. Um, to Dr. Amy Gossie, who taught the, the, the theories of, uh, and the principles of politics. So when um, I was presented upon graduation in 2010, um, I was presented with the opportunity uh, to move to Washington, D.C. and work on Congressman Clay's staff as um, I previously mentioned as a um, legislative correspondent. During that time, the U.S. House of Representatives leadership was changing from Democrat to Republican. So there was a big change that was happening, um, a lot of turnover. However, I would say one thing that I realized is that I was sitting at the table and I was just reflecting with Antonio on this just the other day. I was sitting around a table. I remember we were discussing um, the healthcare ACA that was coming down the pipeline, sitting around the table and I'm sitting around individuals, some of the other congressional staffers and members of Congress who are Oxford graduates, Harvard graduates, uh, Yale, Princeton. And here I am, this, this young black boy from you know, St. Louis from the hood, as I like to say, um, who attended a historically black institution that some would question at the table with these great individuals or, or so I thought, you know. Right. Um, so to sum everything up, I, I say that to say that I've been around some very well-educated individuals and they're not that smart, <laughs> you know we still don't have health care in the 50 states at the level which it should be you know um right. we still don't have uh, the the necessary services to make sure that our infant mortality rate is being decreased on an annual basis so um my experience on capitol hill was that yeah it's a lot of show um there are some people who actually care there are some elected officials and some staff people who actually care about making a difference and change. And you'll be surprised about the, um, how we go about having conversations with some of the highest people in government um, who don't understand the common man. And I think that's what, what Washington is missing. Well, you, uh, 
came back home and ran for Missouri House of Representatives and won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. The youngest uh, African-American ever elected to the Missouri House, right? Yeah, at that time. Yeah, at that, that time. time. Yes, sir. So. Where did that go? Yeah. So after, um, I'll tell you a story. After leaving uh, Capitol Hill, because I had left after serving three years on Congressman Clay's staff, um, I was asked by a woman by the name of Zakia Smith. She's now the um, education secretary for the state of New Jersey. At the time, I had no clue that she was on President Obama's staff. I just simply went to the White House to uh, get a briefing on historically black colleges and universities. At that time, President Obama was rolling out his scorecard uh, agenda that was really, uh, to go in, not to go into detail, it was really trying to weed out um, poor performing schools, right? Um, so I uh, went to the White House to, to listen to a presentation um, on the policy and um, Afterwards, Zakia walked up to me and said, hey, Josh, you know, I enjoyed our conversation. I think you'll be a great addition to the president's staff. Here's my card. Um, I went through the vetting process, uh, ended up becoming appointed as a, uh, as a confidential assistant to the Undersecretary of Education, Martha Cantor. I served there for roughly, I wanna say about like four months. And then I got a call from Congressman Clay who had said, you know, hey, there's a position back in St. Louis for state representative. I think you'll be a great guy, you know, to, to run for the, for the seat. Mm -hmm. So I explored it, me <laughs> being the curious person, you know, that I am, mm -hmm. and uh, moved back to St. Louis, uh, sought the Democratic nomination, uh, secured that nomination, ran for office, and I served six years um, in the Missouri House of Reps. Mainly, my, my focus has been on higher education, as well as criminal justice reform um, when I was in the Missouri House. Um, I, I, I took the approach that, one, there are some underlying racial issues that we have in our country that are, that's just automatically systematic, right? Whether it's knowingly or unknowingly. And it's, it's not good for anyone. It benefits no one. To, to oppress anyone of, of, of any human being. That's just not what you do. It's not natural, if you ask me. So when looking at Lincoln University and our 1890 land-grant status, in comparison to the other land-grant institution in our, in our state, I wanted to point out to the legislator, in which I did, uh, the disparity that exists. So um, one of my biggest or most proudest moments was teaming up with Representative Jay Barnes, who represented um, a portion, I believe, of Cole County at that time, a Republican. Um, and we were able to get a floor amendment to pull down a million dollars from the University of Missouri's president's discretionary expense account. And this individual at that time was had on his expense account um, uh, uh, charges to the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C., um, uh, plaques and, and trophies that, that amounted to about four or $500 all which are great things when you're honoring and respecting someone's legacy who deserves it. But nonetheless, this is taxpayer dollars, right? 
a million dollars can go a long way in the district in which I represented in North St. Louis that has the highest infant mortality rate in the state. A million dollars can go very far when we're talking about a historically black university that educates and produce quality uh, graduates and the professors and the faculty members who service those individuals who are, are paid almost little to nothing in comparison to their counterpart, right? So when I discovered this, I took it to the Speaker of the House at that time, and as well as the other leadership, and they said, hey, Josh, let's call them out on the floor. I did. Um, I got a lot of pushback from my Republican counterparts, naturally, and, and the, the University of Missouri's uh, delegation. <laughs> uh, uh, but nonetheless, the, the argument was compelling, right? What, what um, year, uh, can you, about what year was that? It may have been, I want to say, uh, 2016, 2017. So this is uh, af after MU had gone through its uh, revolt, so to speak. I believe so, or it was yeah. around that time, yeah. if you would. Right. So when we, when we look at the the systemic racism or certain things that are in place that prevent individuals from becoming good quality citizens. And we look at today's time, we have to say, okay, what are we doing as Americans or as a state? How are we investing in those who are less fortunate than us? Because some people are going to judge your country, your nation, your state on how you treat those who are the less fortunate, right? When you have the resources to provide. So, just to sum up that that story there, I would have been perfectly fine with, with the president uh, using his discretionary expense account any way he wanted to, if it was endowment dollars, but not state funds, right? At that, that we were able to secure $2.5 million as a floor amendment um, on the Missouri House floor through the appropriation process that went over to the Senate. So that's one of the most proudest moments that I enjoyed serving in, in the legislature or experiencing in the legislature. Uh, the second part is working with the local officials in the city of St. Louis to close a medium security institution, which is called the Workhouse. The Workhouse is similar to any, any one county jail. And really what it is is that whenever a state parolee um, violates his or her parole, they are sent to this medium security institution in which they are awaiting trial. Now, historically, I want to say back in the 1960s, there was a federal judge who had issued a ruling because people were being sentenced to this medium security institution and then not having a speedy trial. And the living conditions were inhumane. And to this day, yeah, there were some improvements um, after the federal decree uh, came down or the, the ruling came down, since then, the building itself and the conditions have worsened, right? So I took a tour myself. I believe it was at that time um, a few of my colleagues who are from the St. Louis metropolitan area and a few Republicans who walked through um, the medium security institution, which was in my district. Um, and we looked at the conditions. I mean, we had Vernum. We had uh, uh, the infirmary was a, a small room with one bed and there was like 20 inmates outside, some who were suffering from mental health issues, some who were suffering from uh, uh, simple issues like diabetes, hypertension, who have yet to be seen. The, the living conditions as far as uh, 
the laboratories that were in that that's in the prison weren't properly functioning. You had toilet business, you know, spread around and things like that. Not trying to just you know gross anyone out, but it's just what it wasn't right. Yeah. And this is a state funded, municipal funded institution. And some of these individuals who were being held could simply have gone, uh, let's say, a fl- someone's on probation, they're on house arrest, they step outside or their, uh, their, their ankle bracelet malfunctions. They're going to the medium security institution. The police are going to stop by, pick them up, take them to the medium security institution until they actually speak with their parole officer or have a court date or those sorts of things. So it's like technical violations uh, that people were being sent to. So these aren't individuals who really truly committed crimes. These are individuals who just made a mistake, if you will. And they're living in these conditions. So the fight is still going on. I want to say it was the summer of 2017, the air conditioning units had broke. And there were plenty of stories and articles, excuse me, out on the, out on the website, you'll be able to see, or you can look up yourself on, on Google, that showed literally like inmates yelling and screaming about how hot and how, how, how the heat was just you know overcoming uh, overcoming uh, the inmates there, and they were passing out and so on and so forth. Had a few inmates being rushed to the hospital for heat exhaustion and dehydration. So when I got word of it, I wrote a letter to the director or the commissioner of uh, health and senior services for the state of Missouri, who is over situations such as this, as well as the, the welfare of the prisons. And I also wrote a letter to the director of public safety. Um, who's also over the facility itself of, of prisons, the Bureau of Prisons, calling them out, saying, hey, this is a state-funded institution. This is a city government-operated institution. You all need to act. Human life is at risk here. I also reached out to the president of the Board of Aldermen of the city of St. Louis, which is like our city council uh, president, if or chairman, if you will. And the first thing that he did was he responded he sent over temporary air conditioners uh, to be installed, although it took about a week or two uh, for that to happen, but it had a lot of media coverage. And that just really underscored the reason as to why we needed to close the workhouse, right? And it, it, it's to this day, it still underscores that reason amongst others. So it, those is, were two, it is still operating? Oh yeah, it, it is still operating, but we have great organizations in St. Louis who's fighting the city of St. Louis. I teamed up with uh, the Arch City Defenders, which is a nonprofit organization here in St. Louis City uh, that has been leading the charge in um, pushing the city to close down the workhouse. And with that being said, you know, I'm looking at today's times, the state of Missouri has 114 counties and 60 or 46 percent of those counties two years ago didn't even have not one, you know, OBGYN. In, in their county, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we look about resources and where we're appropriating our funding, whether that's the hot topic right now is, is defunding police departments and, and law enforcement, some of those funds, and even when you look at the federal budget, the military budget, some of those funds can be appropriated to helping improve the quality of life of the everyday man, right? Right, right. Um, so, so 
that's kind of been my push, my agenda, legislative agenda. I, I can also point to another scenario where I teamed up with um, a, a, a former colleague of mine, Bruce Franks, um, in which we filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of, um, well, with HUD, really, uh, the Secretary of HUD, about how the city of St. Louis was treating its homeless population. They closed down um, the Larry Rice facility. As many folks know in the St. Louis metropolitan area, Larry Rice was a great philanthropist who was providing uh, free housing, um, shelter, wraparound services to our homeless population here. And what really truly happened is that you had a high rise that sits next to the Larry Rice facility at that time that had gone up with multi-million dollar uh, units in it. And those tenants wanted the homeless to be cleansed, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so the city of St. Louis uh, opened up what's called now the Biddle House, which is a, maybe about three or four blocks away, I want to say east of, um, of, of the Larry Rice building, and housed all of the homeless, but did not meet the federal standards of the grant in which they applied to open uh, that facility that was supposed to secure wraparound services, supposed to secure um, how to properly house individuals. The way you solve homelessness is to provide housing. <laughs> you know, the way in which you, 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 you solve health issues is to provide physicians to treat health uh, right. problems. And the city of St. Louis just wasn't meeting that standard. So I filed a complaint against the city of St. Louis, um, and that's still being investigated to this day. Hmm. under uh under federal law so those are just like some of the highlights that you know may not necessarily be like the most glorious thing or the hottest thing to discuss but it's making change in the lives of individuals and and that's what i i believe in in, in making or having an impact mm -hmm. yeah and so you're coming up against uh the buzzword of the day systemic uh, yes. Whether it's racism yeah. or uh, some kind of a uh, system that does not seem to want to put monies into helping the underprivileged, the underserved, the underemployed, uh, however you want to label that. You recently just got hired at Harris Stowe mm -hmm. uh, State University as their uh, internal director of oper or director of internal operations so yes. you now have a in a sense a, another platform uh, <laughs> in the education area joshua peters uh, uh masters in public administration uh, out of lindenwood uh, went to lincoln university and now is uh, director of internal operations at harris stowe state university so so uh, yeah. yes, how are you uh, making it work for your overall goals? Yeah, so um, like when looking at my legislative portfolio and my level of service, it's always been centered around uh, higher education and higher education leadership specifically. And it's been an interest of mine uh, after having served as the SGA president at Lincoln University to be part of the administration. I don't know if I was bit by a bug or what have you, <laughs> but I looked at better or worse, when I looked at the leadership of uh, Dr. Carolyn Mahoney um, and other individuals, uh, Dr. Larry Johnson, who's the president down at Phoenix College, um, <laughs> and a few others, 
across the country, um, it, it really made me want to be a part of something great. Like, I believe that in order to achieve a quality of life, in order to achieve um, a level of stability as an African-American male, I believe the only way to do that is through higher education or through the higher education pipeline. So changing lives, lives um, from, uh, for, from K through 12 up to the historically black college and university level has been a passion of mine. So um, when talking about Harrisville State University um, and the role there, I literally started off as an adjunct professor in their political science department. Oh. And um, I was, uh, a friend of mine had sent a job posting at the time, uh, Dr. Wormat, who's now at the president of Claflin University, uh, was serving or had served as president. And we were at Harris Stowe. We were in the process of the university was in the process of uh, searching for a new president. Um, so there were a lot of uh, administrative offices that were kind of left vacant. At the time, Dr. Dwayne Smith, who's now been named the president of, or CFO, excuse me, CEO of, of Hasselonic College, if I'm saying that properly, out of Connecticut, was serving as the interim president at Harris-Stowe. So I had known Dr. Smith and um, Dr. Warmack through my service as a uh, trustee member at uh, Logan University, which is a chiropractic college right. in, in, in um, Chesterfield, and anyone who's familiar with care, natural care, if you will, um, healthcare, you're familiar with Logan University. Go chiropractors. Uh, <laughs> and you might know that Lincoln had a, a cooperative yes. arrangement with Logan University. Yes. So that same arrangement, which is the three plus three program, is one that I arranged with Harris Stowe when I was a state representative. Oh. Uh, so. Uh, not only that, we worked with Dr. Kevin Rome at Lincoln um, when I was on the Board of Trustees to provide chiropractic services free of charge to our athletes um, at Lincoln University, as well as the University of Missouri, Columbia. Didn't so, yeah, there, my, my background and my history outside of, of, of politics has also been working with various universities and connecting those, those channels to, to build pipelines to help with enrollment and things like that. So... Long story short, um, I went through a very rigorous uh, interview process in which I met with the president of the university at Harris-Stowe. Um, I also met with the administrative council and had to interview with those guys. There was about 40 of them. Um, wow. I interviewed with the president's cabinet, which is about 12 of those individuals, all doctorate, way more uh, skilled than I am. And, you know, it was very quite, it was quite intimidating. Uh, but nevertheless, I was selected. Um, from what I understand, I beat out a former university president and, and a few regional uh, directors of various organizations from around the St. Louis metropolitan area. So I was very proud of, of myself for that. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the role there is really working with uh, the president's cabinet members, um, building an agenda on the priorities that the president sets, as well as the regions. Um, and then helping and assisting with the day-to-day -day operations. So working with the chief financial officer um, on budget inquiries and, and uh, identifying which budgets we can uh, pull from to, to, to provide services for our undergraduate population, whether that's institutional scholarships and those sorts of things. Also focusing in on our retention numbers. Um, Harris Stowe 
serves not only as a, uh, excuse me, a traditional university, but it also serves its purpose as a community college. So we have a lot of stopouts and individuals who enroll at Harris Stowe, and for whatever reason, whatever life reasons, they tend to take a break and then come back in. So that kind of affects any institution's retention numbers. Um, so we, we, we want the legislature and we want people to understand that those non-traditional students don't count as part of the, re as the retention plan or the, as part of our retention numbers uh, towards the end for any university. And that's a federal standard that's kind of out there that I think that the state of Missouri can benefit from coming up with its own uh, retention um, um, formula, if you will. I have to so, tell you, I have to tell you that that's the first time I've heard the phrase stop out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if I understand it, it, it's the person that just takes a break, either yeah. to earn some more money or to take care of a health issue or an emergency, but yes. they're not a dropout. They're just a stop, stop out. out. Yes, sir. I thank yes, you sir. for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. Yeah. And that tend to be your individual who, who want to complete their degree. And again, for whatever reason in life, you know, they right. just take a break and come back in. Those individuals aren't counted as part of any state university's retention numbers as far as the federal government is concerned, uh -huh. because they count the first time freshmen as those individuals who start and stay enrolled at the university from the first year to the sixth year if needed. Hmm. So if you stop out, you're not counted in the retention numbers. And in fact, that it affects the institution uh, retention numbers. So we, we provide a level of service and we, at Harris Stowe, and we, we have some of the best faculty members. We have a few judges, a few attorneys who are some, again, some of the least paid individuals in the state, but they provide a level of expertise for where they're able to give practical uh, work experience to, uh, to the students. I love the institution. It's one that's still growing. We have a new president, Dr. Corey Bradford, who has a, a, a depth of knowledge on business. He comes with a strong business acumen. Um, he comes from Prairie View University down in Texas. Um, Dr. Bradford uh, has managed literally billions of dollars as their CFO, as uh, Prairie View is part of the Texas system. Um, and Dr. Bradford also served as um, uh, the CFO, if I'm not mistaken, over in Illinois as part of the, their university uh, statewide system as well. So I'm, I'm happy to assist him and the regions at the, at, the, at the university, as well as the cabinet members and working with the students on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I, I practically serve as the right-hand um, man to the president. My office is in the president's office, um, and it's essentially the role of chief of staff mm -hmm. is what it is mm -hmm. uh, to the president. So uh, is Harris Stowe still an, an open admission institution like Lincoln? Yes, we have an open admissions uh, mission that has been deemed by the state as well as uh, Kofi and the Higher Learning Commission. So our mission is to provide um, our doors uh, open <laughs> to individuals who want to enroll. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a mission that has been deemed by the state of Missouri, yes. Good, so that means uh, that you may require more prep work or uh, transition work for some students to get up to college 
you might call a college standard. Is that fair to level. say? Level. Level, uh-huh. Yeah, it is. It is. And we're seeing that across the board. Um, when we look at the K through 12 systems locally, um, they vary from, from region to region within our, our demographics, right? Our geographical location, if you will. Um, so the level and the quality of student um, is different and some may not necessarily meet um, or be college ready, if you will. So what we've done at Harris Stowe is that we've continued to build and expand on building pipelines with um, these St. Louis public schools, uh, St. Louis County schools, Riverview West Florissant, Ferguson Florissant, um, a lot of those school districts to, to start providing um, dual enrollment programs mm -hmm. um, for where we create a pipeline for where, hey, if you're a master teacher, um, in the classroom at the high school level, and you want to teach an uh, English intermediate course, if you will, the university will hire that 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 teacher on uh, part time to provide that services in the classroom before the student even steps foot on Harris-Stowe's campus. So building some of those relationships, and then the student comes in with you know those uh, uh, that intermediate course being uh, filled, if you will, mm -hmm. or or, mm -hmm. or prepared. And they could walk right into that English one-on-one course. Mm -hmm. um, so we're working to build those pipelines with various institutions across uh, the state, specifically in the city of St. Louis. Harris Stowe has a mission as part of our uh, state, as part of the state statute that uh, we're, we serve as a regional uh, institution, unlike Lincoln, which is state and nationwide, and you know research uh, institution. So. We do what we can. Uh, we again, we're, we're filling a void in the community to a demographic of individuals who may not necessarily have the opportunity otherwise. I mean, everyone can't afford a Washington University tuition right. uh, cost, or even the University of Missouri uh, tuition costs. So, yeah. Well, let me check in with you on a uh, just a couple of people that uh, I recall from St. Louis area. Let's see. Terry Wilson. Yeah. Terry Wilson. I know he does private uh, consulting work, has a side business. Uh, it sounded like he had just really done well. His mother was a mayor over. Uh, still in, is. Oh, still is. Not Ferguson, yes. but right next to Ferguson. Right? Jennings, Jennings, Missouri. Jennings, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I, I hope you all have some interactions. Uh, he seemed like he's interested in that same educational uh, pipeline onto college and and uh, yeah. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, Terry also serves on the uh, school board of Jennings, the Jennings School Board. Uh, that was uh, what it was, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm very proud to say that my my youngest niece just literally graduated a few days ago from Jennings uh, High School. Oh, so good. Uh, kudos there, uh, good work there, Terry. <laughs> uh, no, but I don't, I don't, uh, uh, talk to Terry on a daily basis or anything, sure. we do each other occasionally, but he's doing great work. His mother is doing good work, um, in the city of Jennings. Of course, it's election season, so everyone's out, uh, mm -hmm. campaigning as best as they can under, uh, you know, the COVID-19, you know, CDC guidelines. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I wish them all the, all the best. And I, I, uh, you know, he's a Lincoln Knight and we're going to continue to support him. <laughs> Yeah. Great. I, I always tell the story on Terry. I, I don't think you'll mind, but he had to take my class three times. 
<laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> and you know, it, it he was a football player. Yeah. And he told me after the third time that I was the first teacher that ever held him accountable mm. for his classwork because people had just moved him along and moved him along because he was, uh, you know, good at sports. And uh, so we kind of developed a real close relationship uh, in, in that way that uh, we have kept up. He was uh, a guest on my show a little over a year ago, and uh, I really appreciate the work that he's doing. Yeah. Have you come across a, a woman named Cecilia Nadal? Cecilia Nadal. No, okay. I can't. Well, I'm going to put you in touch with her. <laughs> She's worked in St. Louis uh, for a long time, uh, bringing cross-cultural groups together, primarily through the arts. Uh, oh. And uh, she's a, a playwright. Uh, more recently, she's, uh, well, just a, a great woman to just have an acquaintance of. So okay. uh, uh, again, she was on my show recently and kind of to tie some of that together, she was part of a uh, the spearhead of getting Herman, Missouri uh, to have their first Black History Month uh, celebration, connecting German immigrants, and this is good for St. Louis, German immigrants who fought for uh, abolition in the 1850s and, and 60s. So this is a connection with St. Louis that uh, she put on the play that she wrote there in St. Louis on that very subject. I, I definitely, I definitely welcome that, um, that connection. Um, as you know, I, I served on the Missouri Arts Council Board of Trustees as well. Um, and we would fund various programs around the state, um, not only around um, African-American uh, history and Black History Month, but also about around the fine arts, like the Barnes Institution and, and the um, operas and the local uh, jazz clubs and things like that. So I definitely welcome that. And to Great. further that, I don't think that people truly understand the history and the relationship that the German people have that's deep rooted with the African American uh, community and the enslaved people uh, that was stolen from Africa. It, it has been a beautiful relationship um, as far as history has con is concerned, but I think that we, we've kind of strayed away from our, our identity uh, as a nation and how we're truly linked together as, as people. It, we've always fought for what was right no different than us breaking away from the crown of, of England. Um, freedom should exist um, no matter who, who you are. So, yeah. You, meant, you mentioned the COVID uh, situation and campaigning. How are you at Harris-So looking to uh, deal with that issue this fall? Yeah, so we just, our COVID tax task force, uh, COVID-19 task force just released this plan that was approved by our Board of Regions uh, about a week ago. What we're gonna do is we're gonna offer traditional online courses, virtual online courses, and a hybrid 
uh, course. So the traditional, uh, virtual, the traditional virtual course would simply just be a traditional course in which you log in, you do your homework, you submit your assignments um, based off the, the books, right? And then the virtual online would be a combination for where you can log in at the time that the professor will be on, 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 the, um, on Skype or Zoom or what have you, have that interface interaction with the professor, but you're, again, still practicing this distancing. Um, and then a hybrid, our hybrid course is going to be for where you can actually uh, go into the classroom uh, through, throughout the week or throughout the semester, have face-to-face, -face, if you will, with, with the professor, and then also complete certain work online. Those, those uh, 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 lectures will be then uploaded online for, this, for the student to, to feed into later. So that's, that's our three course offering. Um, I think that our COVID task force has done a great job. Um, as it applies to students moving back on campus, um, social distancing within our, our, our residential halls. Um, and then we also have certain protocol in place uh, as, far as, as far as uh, wearing uh, face masks, uh, hand sanitizing, those sorts of things before you walk into the classroom. And, um, working with our, our uh, food service provider uh, to make sure that there, there's going to be or there will be uh, you know, plastic forks and disposable flatware and, and paperware and things like that uh, so that the students won't have to have as much interaction in those common areas hmm. uh, and that we're, we're limiting the risk of students uh, becoming uh, infected by, by COVID. Sure. Yeah. Uh, does Harris still have a, a medical facility? We have a, an infirmary, if you will, okay. <laughs> of, of sort uh, on campus. So we do have a full-time RN nurse. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe we also are contracted with a nurse practitioner, um, meeting all the state and, and uh, uh, accrediting body standards. So, yeah. Yeah. So in your, uh, let's see, your 32 years. Uh, <laughs> Put it out there. <laughs> how have the ups and downs been? It, it, it hasn't always been good, I, I can't imagine. So I, I like to always say God is good all the time. Um, and I believe that uh, in order to be effective, you have to believe in a higher spirit, mm -hmm. right? Whatever that is, if that's Allah, if that's Yahweh, if that's God, whoever you call your Buddha, whoever it is, um, you have to believe in a higher power. And it's my belief that that higher power has gotten me through not only uh, the toughest times in my life, but also uh, my future. And we'll continue to drive and guide through my future. Um, there was a time towards, I want to say in 2018, I was involved in a car accident um, oh. that left paralyzed uh, for about three to four months and during the legislative session. I and um, yeah, I had three slip herniated discs in my back um, that prevented me from, from walking. And it wasn't a great time for me. I, I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be on the floor of the house. I wanted to, uh, to be in my district. And it was, it gotten to the point where I was literally answering phones, answering the phone and sending emails in the hospital bed. Hmm. And my doctor told me like, Hey, you got to stop doing this. You need to focus on, on, on healing. That wasn't the best time for me. That was a dark, a dark time. Mm -hmm. Um, because I wanted to, to provide service. I wanted to be out like I had mentioned. You know, when you think about it, law enforcement and 
public officials have some of the highest suicide rates out there. And sometimes you have to wonder why. You know, mental illness is real. The constant dealings that one has to deal with um, as far as code switching is what we kind of like to say in my generation. Um, some people have to code switch. Not to say that I'm one of them, uh, but I do. As a, as a young professional black man, um, one can only imagine going to hang out with some of your cousins and then going into the corporate boardroom. You have to switch on two different hats or some people like to say hat switching or what have you. But it's, it's truly code switching. And that has an effect on people's psyche um, when, when you are interfacing with different constituencies and you're interfacing with different uh, groups and trying to bring about a commonality amongst everyone. You have to be able to meet people where they are and relate to them. Uh, so a lot of my, my colleagues and a lot of folks who are involved in public service and, and customer service even uh, have to be cognizant of the fact that on a daily basis, your, your psyche is being challenged and you have to take care of yourself. And I, I truly believe in, in eating healthy. Um, I believe in eating plenty of fruits and vegetables. That's what we, we have to do. I wouldn't go so far to say I'm vegan, but, <laughs> but I do believe in having a good uh, balanced meal helps with uh, mental health. And I, I, I even look at our teachers um, serving as counselors at the same time for some of the students. You know, I can only imagine uh, being in a classroom and, and knowing that a child is being abused at home and you're, you're constantly seeing them for a couple of hours and then sending them back to those same conditions how that can have an effect on your day-to-day -day life. So you gotta take care of yourself. Definitely. Brian Williams, uh, isn't he a state rep still? Is, is he from St. Louis? Um, Brian Williams is from St. Louis. Uh, he is now a state senator. So when I was in Washington, D.C. in 2010, I believe it was 2012 that Brian had started as an intern for Congressman Clay and his campaign team. I want to say it was probably like around 2013, Brian had came on full time out of the congressional office in St. Louis. Um, and I would come back occasionally and, and talk to Brian and things like that over the phone um, coming from DC. Came back during that period of time of me running for office. Uh, Brian was actually my campaign manager. Oh. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and out there uh, knocking doors um, and strategizing with me um, as best as he can um, mm -hmm. on, on, on the local politics. I mean, he was fresh off the campaign with Congressman Clay, so he knew the landscape, he knew the players at the grassroots level, and uh, really entrenched and assimilated me into uh, St. Louis politics, which is completely different from Washington, D.C.'s politics, and me coming from policy versus actually uh, serving as a principal officer as was completely different. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm, I would like to see what Brian accomplished as a state senator. I wish him well. He's a fraternity brother of mine. I think that, you know, the, the sky's the limit mm -hmm. for Brian, whether that's him uh, running to be county executive or in some other capacity mm -hmm. in local government, I think will serve him well. Kappa Alpha Psi, is that it? <laughs> yes, sir. All of us serve a, a, a purpose and a cause. Um, when I look at our, our, our founders and individuals like Dr. Jesse Jerome Peters, who led the 
dreamers dream into fruition, um, building our organization from the inside out. Uh, those brothers, as well as some of the, the current members of Kappa Alpha Psi, um, when we look at the, the, the attorneys who exist now, uh, and Johnny Cochran, and what he has done for, for the level of uh, stewardship in the legal field, those individuals are individuals who have contributed not only to the history of our country, but uh, to the body of knowledge and improving quality of life for all men. You know, my fraternity's motto is achievement in every field of human endeavor. And that's what we strive to do on a daily basis, whether that's providing a service to uh, young folks. And we're not just talking black kids, we're talking black and white because we are historically black uh, fraternities and, you know, sororities and divine nine and all that good stuff. But we want to make sure that uh, we leave our world a better place than, than what we inherited, you know? Um, so when you have individuals um, running for public office, when you have individuals who are medical physicians and individuals who are neuroscientists and uh, folks who are in academia working towards one goal, it, it, it becomes a better place. Wonderful. Uh, I, I try to try to get my brother Antonio Lewis to join the bond, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he keeps running away from it for some reason. Uh, so I'll have to continue to work on him, but yeah. Okay, well, that's, uh, uh, I, I can sort of see how he likes to, to be open to many different uh, layers and players. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. not going to conform by any means, and yeah. you can't hold him back, and the work that he's doing in Atlanta is second to none. I mean, he's making a name for himself, and, you know, you have folks down there calling him the, the second Dr. King. Um, some folks are calling him Malcolm X, but when you look at the cause in which he's fighting for, you got people who are saying, oh, well, why are protesters out there looting or why are they doing X, Y, and Z? If you look at it from a different perspective, America has truly, you know, they've never valued life in the way in which it should be valued. You look at a black man, George Floyd, for instance, who was being murdered and on tape, like no compassion none whatsoever when you have an outpour of support for blue lives matter but you see that there are uh, uh, issues and policies that need to be changed internally within law enforcement in the criminal justice system and you sit back and say well you shouldn't be out looting well the protesters aren't looting because they don't need i mean because they need things um because they want material goods they're looting to polarize the idea that America values material goods over human life. So the same level of force that you see to protect a, a, a dollar store or Barnes and Nobles or your local convenience store, when they show up in force and protect that property, we want to see that same force of protection when a young child is shot or murdered in the streets of the city of St. Louis, the streets of Atlanta, the, the streets of Washington, D.C., that same level of force uh, 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 directed towards uh, solving those type of, of issues. And that same presence and that same community effort, when we saw the chief of uh, New York Police Department uh, taking a knee with the protesters, that's very great and symbolic, but what are you doing internally to address the issues to change 
uh, the policies and procedures that ultimately will help everyone live a better life. Right. I look at Antonio and what he's doing is, and, and what I, I think must be done in today's time is, we have to put pressure on our local government officials. I know that a lot of folks like to look at Donald Trump and what he's doing. Yeah, that's important. And I'm not even gonna get started on that on the national stage. But when you look at who actually holds the purse strings and actually can affect change in a very quick and ex ex expedited way, um, expeditiously, uh, if you will, is, is, is the local government, your local mayor, your local city councilman. They are the ones who can shape policies and build uh, their police departments and, and set other standards when it comes to the health department and social services at the local municipal level. And Antonio is putting pressure on Lakeisha Lance Bottom, the mayor in Atlanta, to bring about those changes, to implement those policies and procedures. And that's what we learned from our professors at Lincoln University. You know, so my hat goes off to him. I, I'm scheduled to get down there and do some protesting with him and um, organize to mobilize uh, his units. So, yeah. That's, uh, that's the phrase he used, organize to mobilize. And that's right. <laughs> I, think, I think he said that came from that class with Amy Gossett uh, at Lincoln University. Yes. That's yes. great. That's great. And I think uh, Dr. Gossett is still cranking it out at uh, Lincoln, as far as oh, I know. Oh, that's good. That's good. I haven't heard from Dr. Gossett in years. Uh, she's a great uh, professor, great scholar. Um, I, I respect her uh, to death. And I, I think that uh, she really has made a, I know that she has made a, a major impact, not only through the work that I've com committed and contributed to society, but also that Antonio has contributed to society. And I just want all of my professors, including you, Dr. Dalton, um, I don't want to go into detail, but you're the first one who taught me about certain things that I had never even known about <laughs> anatomy <laughs> with them, with them with, you know, on my own person. So, uh, you know, there are life lessons in those classrooms and you guys have, and you will continue to live not only through uh, your own personal life, but through what you've taught me, what you're going to, what I'm going to pass on to my child from the knowledge that I received from you. So you, and in that way, you're internal, you know, you're, you're going to, your legacy will continue for sure. Well, yeah. thank you. Yes. Um, this has been a, a great hour with you. Uh, thank Josh, you. Joshua Peters. Are there some aspirations, uh, some dreams uh, still? Uh, on your bucket list? So I, I, I'll be honest with you. There are a lot of folks who want me to return back into politics um, because some would say that I, I left during a time where I decided not to run again during a time that uh, young African-Americans were, are most needed, you know, mm -hmm. to be a voice. But after, you know, considering the, my personal goals of wanting to be, after looking at some of my personal goals and wanting to be more effective at the um, policy aspect, at the university aspect, to contribute to the academy, I, I want to stay kind of in higher ed mm -hmm. uh, for the time being. And if opportunities present themselves down the road, uh, then I'm, I might 
consider returning back into politics. I mean, I got plenty of time to do that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't see anything happening or changing outside of the role, but I think that there are some folks such as myself who can go back into academia. When I look at Cornell West, when I look at uh, other professors who are around, Dr. Henry Gates, um, those individuals have to have a legacy that has to be continued. You know, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, those theories still have to be taught in the classroom um, at, the, at, the, at the academy. So um, I'll let the other individuals continue to explore uh, politics for the time being, but if, 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 if I'm called back in um, at the right time, I'll do it. But know that it won't be in the state house. <laughs> Okay. Or state, or or or, or uh, uh, the legislative body at the state level. I, I have no interest in wanting to be state senator. Never have. Even when looking at the uh, the Roman aspect um, of that, I, I forget my history professor, uh, Doctor Green, I believe was the chair. I forget. But uh, just talking about the Senate, I would spend hours for him with him in his, his classroom talking about the Senate and, and government and the history behind it. Mm -hmm. um, it's never been appealing to me. I've always been wanting the ones who wanted to uh, be part of the, the House so I could fight for the people, be a common mm -hmm. man. Um, but yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, great. So you get to have the last word here. Uh, anything you'd like to share just as a uh, message to an audience? Uh, I, I would just say that um, keeping God first and keeping um, a belief system centered in your life is going to provide you longevity and health. I want to thank you, Dr. Dalton, for inviting me on to the show. I want to thank um, Antonio Lewis for linking us back together and making that connection. I want to thank all the listeners for taking time to listen to me, uh, not only stumble over my words, <laughs> but also uh, um, my thought and my, to hear my passion. And I hope that today you, uh, you find peace internally, as well as uh, share that peace with, with the greater world. So thank you, Dr. Dalton. I appreciate this. Thank you, Joshua. And uh, stay safe. <laughs> yes, sir. You too. As well as be well. Okay. And listeners, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.